welcome to the very first episode of the Post-Truth Politics podcast. I'm Asimina Mikhailidou, researcher at the Arena Center for European Studies, uh, University of Oslo in Norway, and host of today's episode. I'm actually one of several researchers in Iceland, Norway, Denmark, Finland, the United Kingdom and Canada. We're brought together with funding from the European Union's Zanmone Networks program with the aim to answer basically two questions. What is exactly the phenomenon of fake news? And how much of a danger does it pose for our democratic societies in Europe and beyond? In our Post-Truth Politics podcast, we'll be discussing these questions together with academics, journalists and activists from different parts of the world. In today's episode, I'm really very happy to welcome Bente Kalsnes, Associate Professor at the Department of Communication and Christiania University College, uh, Norway, and an expert in how social media, digital journalism and fake news impact politics. Welcome, Bente. Thank you. Your book about fake news and disinformation in Norway and the Nordics was published in Norwegian last year. Uh, with the title Fake News, Lies, Disinformation and Propaganda in the Digital Public Sphere. And I also have to say that uh, in 2018 you received the Norwegian Media Researchers Communication Award for your research outreach to media and through social media. So you're uh, the perfect first guest <laughs> Thanks. to have this discussion. Um, and I was thinking to start with something that's uh, been affecting all of our lives recently, COVID-19. And besides the uh, health dimension of this crisis, it has also laid bare the problem of fake news and misinformation across the world. And you've written about this. So how would you say this crisis has played into the fake news challenge? Yeah, it has been yet another example of how problematic false and manipulated information circulating in the digital sphere can be. Uh, because in the situation of the COVID-19 crisis, it's really important to have information we can trust uh, because we're taking really important decisions. Um, because this is a matter of life and death in, in some cases. So we need to be able to trust the information and uh, take our decisions based on that. And if we are not able to trust the information, we might take uh, decisions that uh, set us in uh, dangers, uh, for example, when it comes to cures or easy solution to the COVID-19 crisis. No, there's not. So uh, there's been lots of rumors and um, conspiracy theories circulating uh, related to this, uh, these matters. And it, had all, it has also affected people's use of um, a mask, for example, in several countries. People, some people are reluctant to do that. Uh, and I also think we're going to see some really interesting discussion when the vaccine is finally coming, because we also know that there's a lot of resistance against using or taking vaccines uh, in parts of the population in many countries. Hmm. So what can we take away from this crisis as a lesson for how to build and keep uh, people's trust? towards news media in particular, like they're the main source of information in this COVID uh, crisis, right? So what what would be the key um, thing to take away from this uh, situation? Yeah, we, we see that lots of 
problems arise when it comes to quality of information when people are not aware of where they get the information from. So, for example, when we uh, get information on Facebook, often we forget to check who has posted this or what is the source. Um, and that um, we've seen lots of people have been uh, have been um, believing um, false cures or made up cures because they have received information on on, for example, Facebook. Um, so a higher awareness of the source and the quality of the source. Um, that's something the COVID-19 crisis has reminded us of. Uh, and we know that there's different um, ways, for example, news media here in Norway are uh, fact-checking information compared to any other blog or website out there. Uh, in, in Norway, we have something called uh, um, the ethical guidelines for the for the journalists that they have to follow. plakaten, and it sets some uh, clear requirements for how they are fact-checking information, which is important for us when we are trying to differentiate between different sources in a situation like this. So recognizing uh, yeah, the reliability of a source is a key thing. Yeah. So then how would you define fake news in a nutshell? Is it a matter of uh, faulty sources or is it something more than that? Yeah, that's been a huge debate and it's been going on for several years. Uh, some uh, re- researchers are trying to uh, not use the term at all because the the term fake news is so problematic. It's illogic because news is based on facts mm. so fake news yes, exactly. i mean in a yeah, sense yeah. it doesn't exist because uh, that's not the foundation of uh, or news cannot be fake in that sense mm-hmm. um but one uh, kind of uh, easy way to explain it is that it's false or manipulated information presented as news um but uh, lots of researchers, and I tend to agree that it could be more helpful to use a term like misinformation or disinformation and disconnect it to news altogether. Um, and one way disinformation uh, has been uh, defined by our expert group in the European Union is false, inaccurate or misleading information designed, presented and promoted to intentionally cause public harm or for profit. Um, So that is one way to define disinformation and misinformation is similar, but it's not the intention to uh, fool people or mislead uh, people. It's done by mistake. Mm. So the difference between those two terms has to do with the intention behind it. So now I'm tempted to ask how can we determine intention? That's really, really hard. And that's also a reason why it can be hard to differentiate between those two terms. So, for example, I know that the Norwegian fact-checking organization Faktisk here in Norway, they just use the term misinformation because they are not so concerned about the intention behind it, but they're concerned about the the level of uh, facts in the information. Yeah, yeah. so the outcome in a way. Of yeah, mm. yeah, not the intention behind it. Right, right. Well, that was uh, very helpful, I have to say, because it can be very confusing with all these terms floating around. 
But you have extensively researched the problem of fake news, especially across the Nordics, right? Which is traditionally an, a, a region that uh, has had a trajectory of trustworthy news media sources operating under clear rules within stable democratic systems, right? So in this context, how much of a threat really is fake news to democracy in the Nordics mm. compared to other? Yeah. Because all the Nordic countries are very digital and um, people are mainly using online news as their news sources, uh, less, for example, uh, printed uh, newspapers. And uh, uh, the the use of social media is high. Mm. Uh, so, of course, uh, everyone living in the Nordic country are also seeing a lot of uh, false and manipulated uh, information on um platforms such as YouTube or, or Facebook. So so that's a similarity with lots of other countries. But then there's a big there's a big difference when it comes to uh, newer alternative media. We see a strong, uh, fairly strong and fairly large uh, scene of so-called alternative partisan media in Sweden. Mm-hmm. And they have often been uh, sharing uh, false uh, false news, manipulated uh, news we've seen in, in the news reports. Um, when it comes to Denmark and, and um, Norway, we don't have the same number of uh, uh, those kind of media actors and even less in Denmark compared to, to Norway. So that is a difference. And we also see a difference when it comes to trust in media. Uh, the trust in media in Sweden is lower compared to Denmark and, and Norway. So that can also impact um, how people look upon uh, news and journalism in general. Mm. So lower trust in Sweden. Is this... Um the cause or the outcome of these the rise of these alternative news platforms uh, that you know before there was higher trust but since they came along people tend to be more confused or less trusting of any type of news source or is what what comes first mm, that's hard hard to answer uh, why media is developing in that or the digital sphere is developing in that uh, direction um, this is part of our longer uh, development and mm-hmm. um, uh, what we know from Sweden is that there has been some concern among the Swedish uh, media users about um, Swedish journalists not taking seriously matters that readers uh, feel is important, for example, when it comes to immigration. Um, so this has been a debate going on for several years. I think it's very hard to pinpoint how this situation with fake news has impacted these developments because they are part of larger trends. Right. So in your research uh, into fake news and, and, and democracies in the Nordics, was there anything that particularly surprised you about these developments? Of course, the the question about trust is kind of interesting because the societies are fairly similar. The Nordic societies are very similar, both when it comes to political system and media system and, uh, for example, the ethical guidelines that I talked about. Uh, So to find uh, fairly big differences when it comes to trust in news journalism and Mm -hmm. how... uh, 
people in Sweden are, are going to different kind of alternative partisan sources. I think that's a interesting finding. Um, so in that sense, Sweden is a bit different when it comes to uh, compared to, to Norway and, uh, and Denmark. Do you see any trends um, in common or perhaps different trends in how each country is trying to tackle uh, this phenomenon of misinformation and fake news? Uh, yeah, we do see some differences. I mean, in Sweden, they've had um, uh, some websites, some services that's been doing uh, fact checks for for quite a long time. Uh, for example, Viral Granskarna. Um, in Norway, we got the service I mentioned, uh, Faktisk, the fact checking service that was established um, through four media companies that started in 2017. And this was a result of the whole debate about fake news and uh, yeah, uh, um, concern about fake news and how it's impacting the Norwegian public sphere. Uh, so four media companies came together to establish this and finance this organization. And since then, several uh, other media companies have, have uh, also joined. Uh, there's also some uh, fact checking um, uh, service in, in Denmark, for example, something called Check Day. I think the, the Norwegian solution or the Norwegian uh, fact checking service uh, Faktis is uh, a fairly good solution in a long term sense because they've managed to, to get financing and several news organizations are cooperating and it's easy to embed the fact checks in all kinds of websites. Um, so I think that solution is fairly unique also in an international context. So we do see uh, differences when it comes to uh, how uh, fact-checking is done in these countries. Uh, but we also see that in uh, specific news organizations, they're also running individual fact-checks. Yeah, so perhaps the Norwegian solution, as you call it, is something that... Uh, other uh, democracies beyond the Nordics could look to for a p- possible solution they can also apply in their efforts? Would, yeah. yeah, yeah, I think that's interesting, both when it comes to how it's organized, how it's financed, and the uh, third thing, um, the technology behind it, the database and how they have built up uh, a system that makes it easy to... Um, uh, systematize and find and uh, put together different kind of information related to the fact checks, the the, the way they've been working on um, metadata. I, I think that is a really smart system. So, uh, so in that sense, I think this could be of international interest for other countries, other media organizations that are looking for ways to how to do fact-checking because it's very resource-demanding. Hmm. Do you think uh, governments or pol- the, the political side uh, of, uh, of uh, society um, has any role to play in, in supporting these efforts by media organizations? Uh, yeah, that's a complicated question in the sense that uh, media wants to have an independence from, uh, from the government. But at the same time, media can provide... Uh, financial support, uh, uh, so it can um, build a kind of foundation for uh, diversity when it comes to um, media outlets. 
So instead of uh, our government establishing a fact-checking organization, I think they should do it much more indirectly. Mm -hmm. uh, so not the cultural ministry handing out the money, but through our third partner, and that could be one way to do it. So one of the principles in the Norwegian media policy is to have a arm length distance between the politicians and uh, the media organizations um, because we don't want the politicians to interfere in editorial decisions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so that's also part of this way of organizing it when it comes to fact checking. Yeah, so perhaps that also helps build the trust of the public towards news media, seeing them as independent, right? Yeah, I can see that uh, how that would also be problematic in other settings like Greece, for example, or Italy, yeah, where there's long-term um, distrust towards politicians, right? Um, but so there, there seems to be something uh, uh, sustainable and innovative that the, the Nordics or Norway in particular has to offer to other countries. Um, what about the other way around? Is there anything um, that the Nordic countries uh, can take away from other uh, countries beyond the Nordics uh, and, and bring it into their uh, national efforts? tackle fake news yeah. oh yeah yeah of course and i think it's super important to learn from each other and um yeah uh, there's a lot of international cooperation going on when it comes to this whole topic of fact checking and verification and also collaboration within journalism uh particularly when it comes to training uh when it comes to learning new tools developing new tools making tools available through open sources, um, making um, online training available. Um, for example, um, I'm following the the website First Draft and they have lots of uh, resources available online, lots of training materials, not only for journalists, but also for students and academics. So, of course, uh, we are learning from all over the world. And I'm also reading super interesting research from uh, several African countries. Uh, they might use different technologies, but often the principles are the same. So I think it's very important to be open when it comes to how to tackle these uh, problems, because we need to, to use several approaches. There's not one way solution mm -hmm. how to how to handle problems when it comes to false and manipulated information. Yeah. So if, if I um, understand you correctly, uh, it seems that uh, it's not just fake news that uh, is like this global phenomenon feeding off our how we're all globally interconnected, but also um, perhaps professional journalism could move towards a similar direction and and um, build some sort of global collaboration, uh, global understanding of how to move forward, what kind of journalism ethics we need to tackle fake news. Yeah, um, and I think we all we already see that. We see more international developments. For example, this week there's been breaking news in uh, the Norwegian uh, newspaper Aftenposten about, uh, about international banking and how their money laundering uh, criminals uh, activities have been money laundered in international banks and one of the Norwegian banks has been mentioned and that has been part of a collaboration international collaboration among uh, journalists so we see this kind of investigative networks um, and, and they've been going on for quite some time 
Um, but when it comes to ethics, I think that's a really good point. Um, how to establish uh, media ethics or ethics for journalists uh, in many more countries because in some countries it's not very established and it's not uh, um, maybe it's not clear for for all journalists or for population in that country because I think more ethical and uh, using more ethical guidelines in the journalism can also help to increase the trust in journalism and I think that's crucial right now yeah so that uh, to me sounds like a very optimistic uh, note <laughs> in terms of uh, uh, where professional journalism is heading. Um, and I say this because there's often uh, in the literature uh, and also in policy, the messages about fake news uh, seem pretty dark, right? That, that this is something that is impossible almost to tackle. And so um, what would you say to... Um, a member of the public who is sitting there at home feeling rather overwhelmed, mm. right? How do I identify fake news? When? How do I know that I'm looking at fake news? Can I do anything about this as an individual? Uh, or is this only up to professional journalists and politicians and yeah, those with uh, some kind of power in society to deal with uh, and the rest of us mere mortals are you know quite helpless yeah no there's uh, a lot we can do as individuals um and uh i think the first part is uh, when we're reading or seeing something because very often the, the false and manipulated information is a picture or it's a video um we have to ask ourselves um who said this what is the source of this information where does it come from and often it also helps to slow down uh, because very often we're, we're reading or consuming information really, really fast when it go online, particularly on social media. So instead of uh, when we see something outrageous and just share it with our friends immediately, we should stop a little bit and just reflect a little bit on what we're seeing or reading. And also saying this because I'm part of a research project called uh, SCAM, uh, which <laughs> yeah, uh, it means uh, uh, source criticism in an age of um, mediated disinformation. And part of the uh, idea behind the project is that we need to develop new methods, new tools uh, to uh, be able to evaluate sources information online. Um, in Norway we have a term called kildekritik, uh, which means kind of like source criticism. Mm -hmm. And it's um, uh, common uh, for journalists to, to work according to this idea that you have to evaluate the sources. Uh, where does the information come from? What is the motivation behind it? Uh, uh, stuff like that. And that's also something that is um, uh, common for historians to, to work according to this approach. And um, we think that we need to develop new methods and tools when it comes to digital source criticism. Um, both for uh, people like me and you, individuals, but also for journalists particularly and society in general. 
uh, how to detect a manipulated picture, for example, or a manipulated movie. Um, we know that journalists have some tools, uh, and some of these are also available for um, people like me and you, ordinary people. Um, so uh, to learn some of these um, uh, methods, how to check the information we see online, I think is very important when we get so much of the information from social media. So do you see um, uh, social media or digital media citizenship uh, becoming part of the curriculum in schools anytime soon? Because this sounds like that these are life skills that um, especially our children, uh, future citizens will need to be able to navigate uh, this digital environment. Or is this something that's going to be down to individual responsibility, if you like, that we have a responsibility to educate ourselves by ourselves? Uh, it's already in schools, uh, at least from uh, my knowledge, when it comes to the Nordic countries, they learn about critical media literacy, uh, information literacy, how to evaluate uh, information online. Um, so it's something they learn from a very early stage, but the whole debate about uh, fake news and disinformation has also shown that we should also be very concerned about the older generation, mm. older people who haven't been uh, taught these topics at school and um, are uh, not native uh, internet users and they have... Um, tendencies to get fooled by these uh, fake it could be fake uh, Facebook ads or it could be fake um, news sites and they share it with their friends because they have a different kind of um, behavior on social media they're sharing more so they're spreading more of this uh, manipulated information so yeah definitely this is not only an individual responsibility and we also so we see that this is more and more included in schools and um, we also see uh, at least I see here in Norway how journalists or how, how media are trying to uh, teach and inform people about uh, this kind of manipulation how to avoid it and there's also courses at libraries um, and particularly during election campaigns there's a lot of focus how not to be fooled by this kind of manipulated information. Mm. If I could ask you to pick um, one thing, one strategy for dealing with fake news in one's daily life, what what would you say is your the one you have found more useful in your everyday life? How do you how do you deal with fake news in your work and your private, let's say, uh, news sphere? Yeah, um, uh, I think the whole focus on sources is very important. So um, when I try to orient myself about what's happening in the world, I use sources that are following certain uh, methods for uh, checking information. So for example, uh, editorial news media here in Norway, and I also have uh, trusted uh, media sources internationally that I follow. Uh, because I, I know that they have certain high standards for how they're uh, verifying information. So that is one way, um, because if I only follow information that 
<laughs> drops up in my newsfeed on um, Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. It can be everything. Mm. Uh, uh, so that is me uh, even more challenging uh, because you have to do a bigger job yourself to check that information because uh, often you don't notice where's information coming from. It could be a fake ad. Uh, for example, or it could be a fake Instagram account. So um, using a diversity of um, quality uh, resources uh, and media resources, that's that's information uh, important for me. Uh, but of course, I, I do find uh, interesting information on social media. But then, uh, I as I mentioned, it's important to slow down and check who... Uh, linked to this information uh, what kind of website is this uh, does the website have an editor uh, is there a journalist behind this um, that's some of the control questions you yeah. can ask these are great tips and actually very encouraging right that we're not completely helpless in in this war against fake news so as our very insightful conversation uh, draws to a close close there's one more question i'd like um uh, to put to you and and that is what do you think is um the most uh, important um challenge or development uh in the coming uh, years when it comes to fake news and misinformation i think there's potentially lots of challenges particularly when it comes to visual information how easy it is to manipulate a picture and eventually to manipulate videos. We've heard about deep fakes, how you can manipulate videos of famous uh, people, for example. Um, but uh, often the um, uh, most typical information is a picture taken out of context, which makes it false. So for example, a picture that was taken in another place uh, two years ago, and it's um, used in a new context, which m- might seem that the situation is much more serious or dangerous than it actually is. And it might um, uh, provoke people. Um, so that can be uh, uh, further challenges we're going to see. We see that already. Uh, another concern I have is that in studies uh, of who is circulating this kind of manipulated pe- uh, information. Um, for example, there was a study by uh, Reuters Institute. Uh, one of the findings is that leaders, political leaders, are some of the major spreaders of this kind of uh, manipulated uh, information, and they have a huge audience. Um, so that could be um, Bolsonaro in Brazil, we've heard has uh, circulated um, uh, false information about uh, fires in in Amazonas. Uh, It could be Donald Trump, who has a huge following, uh, who has advised about um, medicine that is not helping uh, against COVID-19. So um, I think we also have to uh, be aware of the responsibility of uh, elected uh, leaders, politicians, and their role in spreading uh, manipulated information. So then the role of journalists becomes even more important, right? As a control, a control mechanism for 
political leaders who might want to run off with whatever kind of information, right? Yeah, I mean, journalists can help us sort in this information chaos. They can help us sort out what information can we trust and what can we not trust based on these methods they use to verify uh, information. Thank you very much, Bente, for offering such great insights into the fake news challenge. And I think we can... uh, Uh, close with uh, an optimistic uh, on an optimistic note right this was Bente Kalsnes digital news and social media expert discussing the effects of fake news on Nordic and global politics for episode one of the post-truth politics podcast I'm Asmina Mikhailidou your host for today thank you for tuning in and don't miss our next episode with um, expert fact checker and chair of the Norwegian Organization for Investigative Journalism, Silje Schursen-Skippa. Thank you.